to this day, it's my is my personal favorite Halo multiplayer map of all time. No question about it. Like it's the one that I would, any chance I get, I would love to just pick up a controller and play on. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Halo 2 Artifacts. Today, in episode three, we're talking all about Halo 2's legendary multiplayer maps, which would go on to become some of the most beloved and iconic maps in the history of FPS games. Joining me once again is Max Hoberman. Hey Andy, nice to see you again. It's nice to see you again too, and I'm so excited about this episode. Uh, today we'll be covering design philosophy, map remakes, deep dives on some of our favorites from Halo 2, cut and abandoned maps that didn't make it into the game, and plenty more. And Max, I'd love to jump right into it and start at the very beginning in the initial planning stages for Halo 2 in terms of maps. Uh, during that time, as you're starting to think about what you want the Halo 2 map pool to look like, how you want certain maps to play, were there specific things that you wanted to take forward from Halo 1 or anything that you specifically wanted to leave behind? When I first got involved with uh, Halo multiplayer, as we were discussing, I was really focused on the LAN party sort of offline experience. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we knew there was a big audience for that. Um, broadband, not everyone had it yet. In fact, we, we were thinking broadband penetration at launch of the Halo 2 would probably be like sub 50% of the audience. Yeah. You know, and Halo 1 had been so big for LAN parties that we just knew there was going to be a huge audience. So I remember looking at that and saying, okay, we have all these different permutations of people that are playing, right? Mm -hmm. Everything from someone playing just split screen on a local box, just two players split screen, all the way up to 16 boxes, uh, you know, uh, networked uh, locally and, you know, and everything in between. So with all those permutations, we kind of need something for everyone. But that said, we had so few resources. Or when we started on maps, it was uh, literally it was just me and Chris Carney. So mm -hmm. doing you know him helping out with design and doing all of the art, and, and me doing some of the design along with all the other design work I was doing. So I knew that you know we had to be really really targeted in what we did. So we had to prioritize. So of all those different permutations of players, we had to kind of pick and choose what we thought was the most significant, the most important. And I think I think I ended up settling on the most common scenario being two boxes network, you know, up to like six to eight players. I think mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly, but somewhere around five to eight players was kind of the sweet spot. And we really optimized all our map designs for that audience, but then tried to have something for everyone. So we knew we needed something for 16 players. We needed something for, you know, all the way down to just one on one or two on two. So we started by looking at which of the existing maps we thought would be good to port over, right? right? We knew there were some classics, so mm -hmm. Blood Gulch being the, you know, the, 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 of course, the obvious classic. And then, you know, looked around and picked a few others. I think we ended up choosing, um, what was it called? Beaver Creek, I think, from Halo 1? Yeah, Battle Creek from Halo 1, which would, of course, become Beaver Creek. Yeah. I was going to actually mention one of the coolest documents you've gotten here is one that outlines the remake priority at the time of Halo 1 maps that you wanted to port over to Halo 2. There were four maps on that list. Number one was Blood Gulch, and yeah, number two was, was Battle Creek. That's, okay, yeah. yeah. I don't actually remember what the other two were. What were the other two? So the, the other two, you'll, you'll, they'll quickly come back to you for sure. different reasons. Um, Wizard. Oh, yes. which was one of yours, of course, <laughs> yeah. um, and then also Hang Them High. And so we kind of have cool stories around all of those remakes. And I guess that's kind of actually a good place to start with Blood Gulch being number one. Uh, did you guys kind of simply know that you just had to do a Blood Gulch remake just because oh, yeah. of the legacy it had already created? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Blood Gulch with the, the integration of vehicles, you know, in the big open sandbox and the RVB had come out. and just mm -hmm. every Of course. The only reason that we 
set up a red base here is because they have a blue base over there. And the only reason they have a blue base over there is because we have a red base here. Yeah, that's because we're fighting each other. Everything about it was just so iconic, Halo. That, that one was a no-brainer. We just knew we had to do it, though, though we wanted to improve it a little bit, too. Um, and then everything else was a little bit more questionable. But some of the reason that I chose those specific remakes is because I was trying to check certain boxes, right? Like, like Wizard was an attempt to find a map that I thought was really solid for a very small number of people, for instance. Mm-hmm. So it was solid arena map, but also because it was four-way symmetric with four bases, it was a super versatile. Right. So, I mean, there were a lot of considerations. I don't remember if the doc explained any of that, but there were a lot of considerations that went into choosing that specific subset. Wizards an interesting one too because it's the first glimpse that as a Halo 2 fan and and player I get to see the idea for the Wizard remake was there before launch. Do you remember was there a point where it moved to DLC instead of being a launch? Map? Yeah, you know, it was actually never outside of prioritizing it on paper. Um, we realized pretty quickly that we just we just had so limited bandwidth to make maps. We actually cut it from the the shipping set very very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept it as sort of on my wish list. There was actually no plan for what we were going to do in DLC um, until after we actually shipped the game. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of scrambled to figure out what we were going to do. And Wizard was my one map that I sort of pushed on the team to do, actually. So I, I was always a big fan, but it was never really planned for, for the shipping game. Or it got, it got cut. It never made it past that initial document, I should say. I, mean, I, had, I had a ton of fun because... Even early days on Halo 1, when we were internally inside Bungie, we'd play basically shoddy CTF mm-hmm. on, on Wizard. And on Wizard, I, yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed it, right? Like, the, I did just this extreme intensity mm-hmm. um, that I just love. And it just chaos and madness and fun and great verticality, too. So I always enjoyed it. But honestly, I don't think many people inside Bungie were that big of fans of it. So I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear that it had much popularity. Yeah, it's and especially amongst a competitive audience, uh, yeah. you know, it's a, a, a map that supported so many different tournament game types as well. Another mm-hmm. fun thing is that I don't know if it was his very first, but certainly one of the first multiplayer maps that Vic DeLeon worked on yeah. as well, yeah, which yeah. is pretty cool because he would also, of course, go on to do the art for maps like Valhalla and yeah, things yeah. like that. But that, I was think that's a, that was on loan to me. Vic, Vic really wanted to be doing some of that stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure, we could use some help. Yeah, that's cool. It is cool. Once Halo 2 had shipped and you started to see the success of the game, the popularity of the game, I had a question about if we ended up getting more DLC due to how popular the game was, but it sounds like a lot of the DLC plans might have been made once the game had already kind of hit some popularity. It's kind of interesting. I think I think what happened is we, we were just so sort of overwhelmed with getting the shipping game done, including all the maps and everything, mm-hmm. that there was just no, no real time to think about DLC. Um, it's not that we didn't plan on doing DLC. Like, it was always part of the plan. Sure. Yet we had no plans for what we were going to do. Um, and then what happened is after after we shipped, I remember um, Pete Parsons coming to me. He was a studio manager at the time. He's now CEO over at Bungie. But I remember him coming to me and him telling me, hey, you know, we're, we're basically starting pre-pro on, on Halo 3. And we have all these people, especially artists, right? A ton of environment artists. Mm-hmm. And they all had such a, a miserable experience working on the campaign on Halo 2 we don't want to, first of all, we don't want to overload early, you know, early development on Halo 3. Second of all, we really want them all to have a good experience and sort of make up for the, all of the pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. So that's basically your, you know, so basically I'm giving you a huge team. So I went, we actually shipped Halo 2 with just two environment artists, um, Chris Carney and Steve Cotton, who mm-hmm. were also doubling as level designers and me, and that was it. And then all of a sudden I had a team of like, I don't know, probably 25 people, 30 people, something like that. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and my, my sort of prime directive 
was make sure everyone has a good time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just, I mean, so the quantity of DLC naturally um, was more than I thought we were going to do, more, sort of more than I planned for, but I didn't really have a plan. If we look at early Halo 2 map plans, which we'll highlight in a few of the maps that we talk about, there's kind of some interesting things. For example, in late 2002, there are still sections about the ladders and lifts and ladder climb animations for both the Master Chief and Elite, and even the idea of an action button, press A to use the ladder. So it's interesting to see that all those are still in and in the early stages. Do you remember at what stage there was a decision to make things like ladders become airlifts and elevators and things of that nature? Yeah, that, that's a that's an interesting one because I was never a fan of ladders and I knew the, the way that they were utilized in Halo 1 had some real problems, some some sort of interface challenges, we'll call it. Yeah. And I, I so I put some rules in place to try and avoid those those scenarios and make them simpler. But I still wasn't a huge fan. So we actually had ladders early on. I'm trying to remember, I think in the very, very earliest version of Lockout, when you would drop down where, there, where they ended up being a lift, there was actually originally a ladder to get back up. And also, I remember ladders in the original sketches that you've shown me to like to get to the top of the battle rifle tower. Yeah, yeah. There were ladders in the back as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so we, had them, we had them early on, and we got them working, and they were in there. And nobody really liked them. And the rules that I put in place, while they were good for interface, they were very limiting in the, like even on lockout right there, like right out the gate, lockout broke the rule because you couldn't run straight forward up the ladder and then continue moving forward. You mm-hmm. had to turn around to get off of it. So it was it was just clear really early on that while I think the rules were good, it was just a very limited tool. So we existed in that state for some time, and then I, I was a huge fan of lifts, and eventually, I don't, I don't remember why, um, maybe from bouncing around in Quake or something, mm-hmm. but um, we eventually got lifts going, and I actually had the ability to tune all the settings in the lift. So for me, a lift was not an elevator. From day one, a lift was more fun if you jump on it and it shoots you in the air, right? Right. So as soon as we got lifts in there, we just stripped out all the ladders, and we never looked back. Um, it was that simple. I, I think Carney and I were just totally aligned on that. As soon as we got lifts, they, they were awesome and they were fun, and we just never looked back. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where it just like fits so well with the flow of Halo 2, right? Yep. It just keeps, keeps the, the flow state going for the action, without a doubt. So, Max, now let's jump into some specific Halo 2 maps, and I think we have to start with Zanzibar. Yeah. Being the E3 showcase and the first map that you showed off, I think it's hard to overstate just how key Zanzibar was for, for overall Halo 2 development. Yeah, it's interesting because Zanzibar wasn't part of our original plan when, when I was, you know, when, when Chris and I were just doing the small-scale multiplayer when there were, you know, back when Warfare still existed and there was going to be something else. We didn't really have Zanzibar in the mix, and then there was a point in time, it was not that far between that, that second E3, that, right? The first E3, uh, we shut off campaign stuff that's got <laughs> its own stories, mm-hmm. which I was not involved in. And then the second uh, E3 came along, and I remember Pete and Jason, um, Pete being the studio head at the time, and Jason, the you know co-founder and creative lead. I remember them coming to me and saying, hey, you know, E3's coming up is something like maybe six weeks out. It really was not that far out. And we, we made a commitment after la- the fiasco last year, we made a commitment to the campaign team that they basically didn't need to worry about E3 and they don't need to, they can just focus on shipping the game. And, you know, the ca- campaign was having problems at that time. So we need, basically, we're, we'd like to show off multiplayer and we need you to figure it out. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, okay. Um, I, I understood the logic, so I couldn't argue. But at the same time, I didn't really think that we had anything that was worthy of showing at E3. 
so they said, you know, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll give you some access to, you know, more resources than you have now. Some of the some of the engineers, some of the mostly artists. I remember Chris Carney and I sat down and we we basically talked about it and we said we need a new map, right? Here, here's our checklist. We we need to show all this stuff, right? We, we really want to double down and go big with this asymmetric round-based game, single flag CTF. So we need to quickly get the engine, you know, gameplay engineers to whip that into shape and actually implement it and make it work because it, it's been on our to-do list, but it doesn't work. No one's made it a priority. And we need to design a custom map around one flag CTF. And we also need to, you know, we need to show off these things. We need to show off vehicles. We need to show off some of the new mechanics, um, boarding. I'm trying to remember what else. The rocket hog was on our list. Probably a lock on with the rocket launcher. Yep. When, and none of those were implemented. Mm-hmm. So all these things are on the to-do list, but not yet implemented. We need to get, and we want to show off dynamic lighting and physics and the environment affecting gameplay and yep. check all these boxes. So we basically took that sort of to-do list. We, we prioritized it. And then we basically went home for the weekend and Chris took point actually. And he came back on Monday after spending the weekend working on it. And he basically came back and he laid out a drawing, top-down drawing, which you can actually see out there on the internet. Yeah. And he basically said, here's, it's a modified version, but here's here's my proposal for a map that checks all these boxes. Um, and I, I looked it over and I, I thought it was a really solid design and it got the job done mostly. I suggested a few tweaks to him. So we kind of... I created more loops in it, suggested that you can actually take the hog through the fan, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, a, a few tweaks here and there added the, um, you know, the tunnel that you jump up to that leads you to the wall and that little cave course, you can, yep. you can mm-hmm. crouch jump up to. I added that, right? So th- did what I did and added a little a little bit more connectivity, a little bit more, um, a little worked on the flow a little bit. And, and that was it. So that was our paper design. And he made those revisions on paper. And that's the version, his revised version that's out there on the Internet. And then he basically got to work building it, um, just buckled down. I think we had Steve Cotton there by then, and we got, we had some help from the, the campaign team, and they just cranked that thing out in record time. It really is incredible to, to think about how fast it's done because, you know, some people might have read interviews about how it was truly a six-week window yeah. to get that map done, which is a crazy timeline for any aspect yeah. of a multiplayer game. But Well, even crazier where you consider that the... Um, the big moving environment physics, the fan, and even some of the smaller stuff like the shutters over the windows, and mm-hmm. none of that actually was in, none of that worked, right? So we actually had to get support from the main engineering team to actually get all of that working. And right. uh, to his credit, Carney spent a lot of time and a lot of late nights being the guinea pig for just trying to get like dynamic shadows working on the environment and all that, yeah. in addition to building a fun map. One of the coolest things is that we actually have the tracking document from production. Oh, that Excel spreadsheet that I shared. Yeah, it is amazing. (laughs) It's from April 1st, 2004, and it has the following dates listed. It has code complete on April 23rd, content complete April 30th, final RC or release candidate May 7th, and the show setup started May 10th. I mean, (laughs) it was, as is the case with so many aspects of Halo (laughs) 2 development, it was up against the gun. Yeah, there was no room for error, but you know, what's interesting is we got it playable pretty quickly. Now, one important note for context here is that multiplayer maps traditionally take months and months to develop, and even some of your favorite multiplayer maps may have been developed over the course of years. So the fact that Zanzibar went from concept to E3 ready in six weeks is absolutely insane. Um, I actually remember very vividly the very first games we ever played on it. And one thing that I was really happy about is it was fun right from the Mm get-go. I took a first pass at dropping all the weapons in on it, and I remember that first 
playthrough because I'd say those initial playthroughs are incredibly, or they were incredibly instrumental in determining the the final weapon layout. Like on all of the maps, Zanzibar included, the final weapon layout, I took my first stab at it. We played three or four games. I tuned things, tweaked things, and then we're probably 80, 90% of the way to the final shipping weapon layout on any given map. Wow. Including on that one. So yeah, I remember... I remember that really vividly. It was fun. It was it was a heck of a lot of fun from the get-go. Another cool thing, a few little tidbits that were in that pre-E3 Zanzibar tracking doc is a desire to include the Banshee in that reveal. <laughs> Forgot about that. Oh, man. There's a note that says Jason is still getting the Banshee projectiles tuned in hopes of hitting E3 timing. So Zanzibar would be quite a different map with a, with a Banshee on it, that's for sure. Yeah, we, we didn't plan it to have a Banshee on it per se, but... You know, my philosophy was always enable all yeah. vehicles on all maps and then just see what happens. I don't mm-hmm. mind the chaos and that you can turn them off in the settings. One of the notes in response says, how important is the Banshee? It will be a bitch to integrate. Falcon would be easier, <laughs> um, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen it in beta videos from the modding community, but the, also there was a little bit of work done to get the Falcon working in Halo 2 as well. Mm-hmm. You didn't ask you didn't ask about the uh, the shallows and the deep water on uh, Zanzibar. Oh yeah, wait, what is that little thing? It's a so we were making so it was, I remember when we were working on Zanzibar and we were trying to make th- this map that was way more sort of fictionally immersive than any of the multiplayer maps we'd done so far, mm-hmm. and we had this problem, which is you're going to go out into the water and and you know we need to kill volume, right? We need right. we need to kill you, mm-hmm. but it's but visually it's this big open expanse. You can't go underwater. So from a fictional standpoint, it's just kind of lame to you know for master chief to drown sure right? yeah and or just hit a hit a kill volume with no explanation but there, there just wasn't anything we could do about it so we so we scrambled to come up with something so we just built a little sign that said danger sharks right before we uh, hit the kill volume which ended up being an easter egg it, that that sign would actually change on different uh, holidays mm-hmm. what was on that sign oh yeah i remember that as well they were really really dangerous sharks oh the future yeah, sharks the fiercest future sharks <laughs> yeah <laughs> Max, you mentioned on the first episode that Lockout was the the first map that the team worked on, which is pretty incredible given its legacy now. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting someday to get to Chris Carney and ask him his you know his views on Lockout because Lockout, the initial design, I, I suspect that he had it in his head or he had things that he wanted to do following Halo One. You know, he he worked on the multiplayer on Halo One, and that was the very first map. You know, he he and I divvied up the maps, and he took um, I think he actually took. We needed. We knew we needed a small one-on-one map, and I think he took that. And Lockout's what he came back with. I, I took took it into Photoshop because his paper design was really screenshots of his 3D model. So I took it into Photoshop, and then I actually made like 3D faux 3D uh, walkways and paths and stuff, and suggested some changes to it. And yeah, and that's what we ran with. But he he must have had that idea in his head for a long time. Um, but yeah, you know, I never really I never really discussed it with him. He just brought it back and showed it to me, and I was like, cool, yeah, this will work. Let's make a few tweaks and off to the races. So yeah, I think it ended up being the very first map that we got playable. Mm-hmm. And it, and yeah, we had a, one of the ex-Bungie guys reminded uh, on Twitter, responded to me and reminded me of this. We, we had this little kiosk that was kind of like an arcade style console mm-hmm. that had a, uh, that, that the uh, marketing team had given us and it had an Xbox that had the screen, you know, it was with controllers, but kind of looked like a old arcade style console. Sure. Yeah. And so we got lockout on there and we, we would prop builds to the console and then we had people playing lockout one on one. A couple of our guys just obsessively day in and day out, mm-hmm. just endlessly. It was, it was amazing. It was exactly what we wanted from the map. Although it ended up being popular for more than just one on one. Yeah, that's got to be a good feeling when you're in development and you already have that kind of fun loop where 
you've kind of found the fact that people are spending way too much time playing the game. Yeah. It's got to be a good feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, it was uh, it was out of control. It was, it was crazy. And if we didn't, uh, if the kiosk machine was down or there's no new build, they'd come to us and they'd gripe about it. <laughs> One amazing document that you have saved, it details just how popular Lockout was. And it's actually an internal Microsoft email that has data from September 2005 through February of 2006, showing that nearly 13 million custom games were played on Lockout, which is a mind-blowing 30% of all custom games played. The next nearest <laughs> map was Coagulation with 3 million. It speaks to just how popular the, the the map was. Is there anything that when you think back to the map that you think made it such a favorite then and now why it is still such a such a legendary map? That's a that's an interesting question. I that seems like the type of thing that everyone probably has their has their own opinion on and I don't know if I'm my opinions any more qualified than anyone else's. I think I mean, personally, I always loved it. I think that in some ways it took some of the things that we were talking about earlier that I loved about uh, Wizard, and it really it, it really sort of turned turned them up to 10. I really liked the the close quarters, the sort of arena with the, the center arena and the, the sort of peripheral pathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked the multi-layered stuff, and I liked the verticality. When you're playing on a map like Lockout, to a certain degree, you're playing sort of, you know, you're, you're playing 3D chess. Yeah. Whereas a lot of maps are really very two-dimensional. Those were some of the problems with maps like Burial Mounds, I think, is they were always two, two dim- or one-dimensional, I guess, whatever the word is. They are just too flat. They didn't have that vertical aspect, that vertical axis mm-hmm. for the combat and for the physics and grenades and you know things like that. So Lockout just ended up being this amazing vertical experience with a lot of subtle movement tricks to it. That it was, you know, it's one of those things that you really, there was a mastery aspect to lockout, just to moving around lockout and think just at things like bouncing grenades and things like that, which I'm a huge fan of. There were just so many skills you could master on lockout that were, you know, not, not easy, but, but I'm no pro player. So I'll bet you actually know the answer to this better than I do. <laughs> no, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the skill ceiling and the level of mastery is such a great point about lockout. And, and similarly, a lot of, you know, folks who are in map design will say, you can tell that that a map has great flow if players simply enjoy walking around solo on the map and kind of jumping around mm-hmm. and going from platform to platform. And yeah. Lockout kind of nails nails that as well. Yeah, it's crazy because, like I said, the original map design actually everything got funneled through the uh, through the center, and there were no you couldn't even get up onto the uh, battle rifle, you know, onto the roof where the battle rifle mm-hmm. is, and that whole pathway around back and all that, and some of the holes in the floor and a lot of that Swiss cheese aspect didn't exist. But it obviously was a solid foundation to build on and add, you know, add those elements to. And yeah, it worked out really well. It's it, to this day, it's my it is my personal favorite Halo multiplayer map of all time. No question about it. Like it's the one that I would any chance I get, I would love to just pick up a controller and play on. Yeah, same for me. Absolutely. Same for me. And I think same for probably a lot of listeners yeah. as well, which is weird because it doesn't have vehicles. And I love vehicles in Halo, right? Their vehicles mm-hmm. are so iconic in Halo. But with the vehicle maps, you you don't really get that three-dimensional nature and you don't get the you know mastery of movement and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's true. One of my favorite notes is on one of the lockout tracking documents. There's an open issue that says, bitches are standing in the secret room and smacking teleporting players in the noggin, <laughs> which is an amazing playtest note. But it also tells us that there was also at one point a, a portal and a teleporter somewhere on lockout. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So before we, we added that whole crazy walkway that, you know, that goes from the bottom of the lift all the way out. like To snipe. Hell. 
Yeah, the elbow. Yeah, and then up to the sniper tower. I was experimenting with adding more creativity to the map, and the easy thing to do without requiring any help from anyone was just to drop a teleporter in there. Right. Probably into bottom green, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Like the shotgun? Because I figure that's what secret room was in yes. that note. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my first way of adding more connectivity was to drop a teleporter in there. Mm -hmm. um, and we played with it, and it worked somewhat. But then eventually Carney decided to replace the teleporter with that crazy walkway. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, we're, I think the map was better for it, actually. Certainly, yeah. Hey everyone, we hope you've been enjoying Halo 2 Artifacts so far, and if you have been, please consider rating or leaving a review for the show on your podcast platform of choice. Some people have also been asking about the best way to support the show, and there's no Patreon or PayPal link. Instead, the coolest thing that we can ask you to do is probably just to simply share the show with a friend that you played Halo 2 with back in the day who might enjoy it and maybe also enjoy reminiscing about just how special this game was. Thanks! And next up, we'll talk about another legendary Halo 2 map. Midship is also so interesting, not just because of how loved it is, but also because the paper designs have quite a few notable differences from the final map. But let's talk about where Midship started. Yeah, sure. Midship was actually the very first map that I took point on doing the paper design. So Carney went off and worked on Lockout, and I took point on doing paper design on Midship, which was basically he was going to take, all right, I'll... I'll go work on the one-on-one -on -one map. And then I was going to take the one that was going to be two-on-two, -two, right? We knew, we knew there's people playing in scenarios where there's only four players, right? Playing multiplayer and potentially on one box or just two boxes. And I had it in my head that I really, really wanted even these small groups to experience the fun of uh, Capture the Flag. So, so I set about to say, okay, what would it look like if you were to create a two-on-two -two symmetric CTF map? Um, and, you know, that, that was kind of my mission when I started on it because every, every map had a primary and a secondary game mode. Mm -hmm. And I, I put a paper design together and then eventually I showed it to Carney. And I think, honestly, I think he was just a much more experienced map designer than I was. So I don't think he was very happy with the paper design and he gave me some feedback and I iterated a little bit on it. And eventually, eventually the map got handed off to him and then he kind of took it over from there. And, you know, so it went through a lot more evolution than Lockout did as a result. Mm -hmm. But I think I feel like the fundamentals are are sort of unchanged. The fundamentals are all there, right, with the open pit in the middle. And you can you can actually see from flag to flag so that the defender can play offense and defense at the same time. You can shoot and you can throw grenades across it, uh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So it, it sort of checked all the same boxes. But, yeah, the, the design went from my my very primitive design to something far more sophisticated and it wasn't covenant originally either Ooh. so it didn't have all the all the curves originally it's true yeah it is a lot more squared off in the original yep. paper designs and you also have fog bottom middle yep um lots of ladders like we talked about originally there yeah. were many yeah. many ladders and at <laughs> one point there was even one or two kind of centrally located power-ups and yep. even a a switch in, in the midpoint between the bases or a switch that you could hit where a, another player could go up top and grab what was labeled as a support weapon. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea was like risk and reward, right? So we've got, you're playing CTF. So what if we enticed both players to abandon their, defending their flag in, to, in order to cooperate, work together to get a prize, mm -hmm. right? Some, something powerful, um, which I don't know if, whether that was going to be a rocket or a sword, probably one of the two. Mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, that was the initial concept. But yeah, that, we, we never implemented any of that. We never even implemented ladders. Because by the time we actually built midship, I think we already had lifts working. Right. 
And another great thing about Midship is it's the only map in Halo history to support every single official tournament game type within a title. So of course, you know, just about all the maps could support just about every single game type from a functionality level. Yep. But for Midship, it was host to every single official tournament game type. So everything from free-for-all Slayer to Team Slayer to Flag to King to Bomb to Ball. It's the only map in what is now 20 years of history to be so versatile that it could support all of those game types in official tournaments. Yeah, see, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. And what's interesting is that wasn't, that was never part. You, you see the design docs. None of that was ever part of the design. Just like Lockout was actually designed, you know, one on one. You know, that, those are all kind of happy coincidences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that from a takeaway standpoint, I think there, if I were to do it all again, so to speak, there's absolutely lessons to be learned from the fact that some of our very best and most versatile, most popular maps were maps that we intentionally designed for a very, very small number of players. Mm-hmm. Two to two to four, right? But but ended up being far more versatile than that, right? For for games and player counts and everything else. Sure, yeah. Okay, I want to get into a few maps that did not make the cut. Okay. Uh, the first one is Cyclone, and you've tweeted a picture of this one, and also mentioned that it was an exercise to design the absolutely smallest map possible. Uh, <laughs> do you remember working on the the paper oh, designs yeah. for Cyclone? Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. I remember that very well. It was, yeah, it was a that was like a thought exercise, and it was just thinking, what in theory, what's the smallest map that you could make that would still be fun, and that one c- kind of like midship where you could see across the gap. In, in that one, there was going to be no gap at all. You were going to start staring face-to-face with the other team with a giant glass wall separating you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in order to fight, you would go drop down a hole into a big mosh pit um, or go down sort of around the back and you know have to sort of go the reverse way in order to approach the enemy. Um, it was pretty, pretty gimmicky, and we never actually built it. Uh, it was paper design, and we actually never thought it would be very fun. <laughs> Have you ever seen, it became popular in Halo 3, um, the map and game type called Octagon? Uh-uh. What's that? It's funny. It, it, it's not too far off from what would become Octagon. It is a, you know, a map made in, in Halo 3 Forge where you just respawn in an octagon a la UFC. Of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> yep. And you just continue to respawn facing each other. Um, and it's kind of like a, a warm-up game type that yeah. the players play. Um, yeah. So it's kind of not too far off of that idea. Yeah, it, it, it was practically a mod in its own way, right? It was just a mm-hmm. fun experiment to do something kind of wacky, and we, we quickly realized it was not going to hold up for it as a real map. This is something that I was originally planning on maybe saving for the next episode, but it'll be a little bit of a teaser. Um, there's a few gems in these design docs, and there's one in the Cyclone document that mentions a power-up that was never released. It's the only place across all the documents that I could find it, and it states that the there was a power-up called Adrenaline, in position B. Do you remember anything about the idea for, for a power-up named Adrenaline? I remember wanting uh, more, wanting more power-ups, mm-hmm. but I don't actually remember what adre- Adrenaline would have done. I would guess it'd be a speed boost. Speed though. boost. Yeah, yeah, that'd be my guess, but I'm just guessing. I, I'll have to think about it. Maybe next episode I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> Adrenaline actually made it into either the alpha or the beta or the final build because there's one reference to Adrenaline as a Halo 2 power-up on a modding forum and a post from 2008. <laughs> but it's the only reference from the entire internet wow. that knows about this power-up hidden deep within the code <laughs> somewhere. So it's in a tag file I feel like I'm, somewhere. I feel like I'm spoiling this for all of you. I should make up some story about how it was working and it was amazing and it was the best thing ever, but I, that's actually not true. 
it's kind of part of the fun though, right? There are within these design documents, there are these gems that are, that are only found within the documents and that's the memory that exists. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll give that one some thought and see if I can jog my memory somehow. In the cyclone document, there was also an inclusion of uh, something called alongside ladders, teleporters, turrets, there's something called force walls. And it states that two sets of force walls exist on either side of the level. Do you remember anything about force walls? Yeah. 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 Force walls were, uh, kind of like a shield that you could temporarily knock out. So I think the notion on that level was that you're, I said you're separated by a wall of glass, but actually we wanted to be a little more interactive. So the idea was that it's, it's, it's actually more of a force wall that if you do enough damage to it collectively, no one player can do it. But if you all unload on it and you do enough collective damage, and for that one, it would have to be both sides doing damage. Mm-hmm. So it actually goes back to your octagon. The idea was that if both sides really want to just go at it, they can take down that wall in the center, but they, uh, both sides have to actually all unload at the same time in order to take down that wall and turn the level temporarily into a mosh pit before the wall eventually comes back. I'm not going to lie. I would, I would absolutely play something like this. That'd be kind of fun, right? It'd be really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is a map that hasn't been discussed too much, and I don't think there are any paper designs that, that have been published, and that was Overboard. It's the only map listed at one point as a priority one that did not ship. It was a, a two-base CTF assault map in a subterranean base near the Delta Temple on Halo. Do you happen to remember anything about Overboard? I don't. Uh, for some reason, it's not jogging in my memory. We had we had a map that we actually prototyped that was uh, kind of like that, that was um, this rotationally symmetric thing, that, but that wasn't it. Um, there was a map that we cut from uh, some, sometime along the way. You mentioned Vic earlier. Mm-hmm. Vic really wanted to do a multiplayer map, and at one point he put he he in his own time he built this crazy <laughs> no offense Vic, but he built this crazy crazy map that was all like floating in space. I think it was called Anchor Point, mm-hmm. and he wanted it to be it was all like walkways floating in space three dimensionally. He wanted it to be all about like banshee battles, um, right? So that one I, I remember having to cut it because it just quality was not anywhere where it needed to be. It was kind of too specialized. Quick side note for listeners, if you do want to see some map screenshots and information about this map, make sure to check out videos from my friends Green Skull and Ultimate Halo on YouTube. Just search for Anchor Point and you can find some of the deleted tweets and map screenshots that were posted a few years back. I, then I, I remember there was one that we ended up uh, um, spacing on the name. I, I, I took the name of it and used it for one of the shipping maps that we prototyped. But yeah, I don't Oh, you're know. thinking about Colossus, yeah, the yeah, yeah. original Colossus. The yeah, yeah. Colossus, we prototyped differently. I remember playing on it and being like, eh, this kind of sucks. <laughs> and then cutting it quickly. Yeah, that map is pretty interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because the original Colossus had really interesting layout with different kind of terrain in, in different yeah. rooms. And there was yeah, yeah. plans for a mongoose, which we'll talk about yep. in the next episode, but really different kind of a room that was dedicated to woodlands and yep. another one that was all boulders, things like that. And, and we prototyped that just mass out, right? None of the, none of that fancy stuff was in there. We just massed out and we prototyped it and we played on it. It's one of the only maps for Halo 2 that we actually built, got playable and then cut and we cut we cut it very quickly because it wasn't it it just wasn't any fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we, and we it wasn't any fun and we were having a really hard time figuring out how to salvage it, so we just cut bait. Mm-hmm. Took the and name, had, but I like the name, so yeah. I, I kept the name. <laughs> Do you remember anything about a map called Ruined Pain Revisited? I remember the name. Um, it wasn't my name. I, I named most of the stuff, but that one came from somebody else. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was just 
an idea on paper. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any other recollection of it. It, it never happened, I'll tell you that. <laughs> After this episode was recorded, we did a bit of extra digging, and Ruined Pain was originally an unreleased Halo 1 map discovered by the modding community via UI cache files, and you can find just a few screenshots back from 2005 on halomaps.org. Now, in terms of Ruin Pain Revisited, the reimagined version for Halo 2 was never made, as you just heard Max say, but we were able to find the written description for the map, and it was as follows. The map contains two multi-level structures facing each other across a long, central passage. The main structure is under construction, or maybe being salvaged, located in the Human Arcology City. And as a quick note, I had to look up the definition of arcology, not to be confused with archaeology, Arcology is a concept of architectural design in which an ideal city is contained within one immense vertical structure, thereby reducing wasteful consumption and preserving the natural surroundings. Now, in terms of game types, it was intended for CTF and Assault, up to eight players, and there's a note that the map was dependent upon the textures and environment objects for the human arcology city to actually be built out. The last save date on that Microsoft Word document is February 3rd, 2003, so we know the map was cut sometime after that date. There are no known screenshots of the map. One of these days, you got to get you got to get either Steve Cotton or, or Chris Carney on and talk to them, um, you know, because they, they were focused on maps the whole time, right? All through sure. Halo Two and, and mm-hmm. Halo Three, um, whereas I was you know split focus on lots of things. Mm-hmm. Max, and talking about all these maps again, do you remember if there were any or any single map that was particularly tricky to to get right in development, more so than the others? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Um, there were there were definitely some that felt like they they worked and they worked well right out the gate, like we've talked about. There were a couple maps that I, I do remember being very tricky. Um, one of the very last maps that we built after Zanzibar, we we wanted to have another map that was kind of like Zanzibar. You ch- checked a lot of similar boxes, but was very different um, in terms of design for one flag CTF and big dynamic pieces of the environment that affected gameplay and all that. And and that's where we ended up with Headlong. And that, that was a map that I never felt like it worked well. Um, I, I felt like it was a constant battle. And I felt like the the dynamic element was always more gimmicky than useful. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe you could say the same of the fan on uh, on Zanzibar, but uh, it was certainly iconic on Zanzibar. And I think more I think more integrated um, than, you know, the big floating beam was mm-hmm. on Headlong. So, yeah, head, Headlong was tricky. The, the, the clock was running out on us also. So I was I was never entirely happy with how, how that one turned out. But yeah, I mean, there, there were others also. I, I remember Ascension just being incredibly difficult. The Banshee was always overpowered on that map and snipers, trying to counter snipers was just perpetually difficult. And I, I was just never happy with where with where we landed. Um, I never felt like we really finished the map, honestly. We just kind of ran out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I'm sure there were others. I, I would say more of the maps were had struggles than didn't. <laughs> Sure, sure, and and as players, we never know all yeah. all that goes into. But you feel the things that I'm not happy with still come out, right? When you mentioned sniping on counter sniping on Ascension, I was thinking <laughs> to myself, I still deal with that every week. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I still have to to fight against snipers peeking their face over. It's not like everything we shipped we thought was perfect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you you did the the best you can in the time you're given. Well, you guys did a pretty good job. Thank you. <laughs> Lastly, before we close, uh, I do want to mention something that, that was particularly exciting for me to find. Uh, in the maps files, there are also three images, one of which you've posted, but two of which you have not, for a three-story lockout midship hybrid 
which sounds like to me kind of one of the greatest marriages of maps that I can possibly <laughs> imagine. Uh, do you remember when this idea came about? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember whether that was during Halo Two or whether that was an idea for Halo Three. I don't actually remember when I did it, but yeah, that was a again that was that was like a thought experiment, kind of like we were talking about earlier. Um, and it, yeah, it really was just hey, we have these two maps, and you know they're really fun. Um, some some of our best work products, so to speak, and we we want more like them, but we want things that are unique. So one way to get something unique is to do a mashup, right? So what what would it look like? I did it in Illustrator, I remember. Mm-hmm. What would it look like if you were to mash mash up those two maps? Uh, someone actually made that. Uh, someone someone out there in the modding community actually took that I did that see design that, yeah. and and made the map. And I, I watched some video of. Uh, of gameplay on there. And I, I was like, damn, this is kind of cool, but it also reminds me why I cut bait on the map while it was mm-hmm. still in paper design because it didn't really work. <laughs> so it might, it might have had potential, but it is certainly not fully realized. <laughs> Max, I feel like we could spend so much time talking about each and every map in Halo 2, but we've got plenty more to discuss in our next episode, which will highlight a bunch of items from these design documents that didn't quite make it into the final game. We'll see you then. That sounds good. See you then. Episode 3 of Halo 2 Artifacts was written, produced, and edited by me, Andy Bravo-Dodinsky. Special thanks go out to Max Hoberman and the entire Halo 2 team at Bungie, and I'd also like to thank Jay Goldberg, Dave Lohmiller, Tahir Hasanjekic, and Sidney Goodman. Music is used under license from Epidemic Sound. Halo is a copyright of the Microsoft Corporation. Corporation? Corporation. And Halo 2 Artifacts was created under Microsoft's game content usage rules. It is not endorsed by or affiliated with Microsoft. Thanks for listening.